Field back to Hachimura. Oh, um, first off, happy Thanksgiving, everybody. It was more just shocking to hear from him and understanding that he gets the most assist from me and the most spoon-fed baskets ever. You know, the culture is actually damn good. To sit up there and to say you don't have a culture problem in the nation's capital, everything about the organization points to a culture issue. One guy took a, took a in another guy's shoe. I'm a little pissed off about it, but I know how I am. I was kind of expecting it, honestly. It's disrespectful. It was like Eric Killmonger going for total domination. What's up in mine? We're not going to be fucking sunk this year. We're the Stanley Cup champions! Thank you for joining us today. This is the Beltway Sports Bros Podcast. I'm Matt Vizana. As always, my brother, Noel. Hey, guys. What's up, Noel? Hey, we've got a special show today. You know about this? I, I heard about it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we have uh, Wizards Insider and Bullets Forever writer and co-host of the Believe, that's B-L-E-A-V, in Wizards podcast, Matt Moderno. Matt actually hosts the show with former Wizard Larry Hughes. Pretty cool. Yeah, that's awesome. I'm envious. Yeah, right? He's going to be coming in later on in the show, but um, he will join us during the Wizards portion of our podcast. But personally, I've been reading Bullets forever. Well, forever. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, pun intended. You've yeah. had a lot of non-pun intended recently, but uh, right. that actually was intended. So it's it's really only the Wizards site that really digs in deep. I love it. I And I'm being 100% legitimate. I think I've been reading Bullets forever since dial-up. So, no, uh, absolutely. It's a, great, it's a great website. You know, I remember even times when they were talking about potentially changing the name back to the bullets they were one of the uh the trailblazers so that it never panned out but great website it's got everything whiz on there it's awesome yeah there's so few out there and yeah. they're really really detailed so i really love them but um yeah and matt just wrote an article for bullets forever the weekend covering uh potential late season additions kind of talks about some players there so for their quote-unquote playoff push i guess you could say yeah so check that out. As always, we have an Instagram page, Beltway underscore sports underscore bros underscore podcast. And we're also on Twitter at Beltway Bro Pod. We also have a Facebook group. So go search groups and type in our name and we'd love to have you join. One last thing, we have a listener support page on the Anchor website. If you would like this podcast to continue, and we would as well, uh, we're doing it three days a week. It's no easy task. I promise you. Noel and I have full-time jobs, families. There's a lot of sleep happening, at least on my end. I, don't, I, I think you're sleeping like a baby, though. Oh, man. After I'm done this, I mean, I'm, <laughs> I, I go and lay down. It's awesome. But, yeah. you know, hey, the more you all listen, I can quit my regular job and then just do this for like 30 minutes and lay on my ass and do nothing all day. It'd be awesome. Yeah. So we, we wouldn't be opposed to that. But um, right now, I'm not sleeping much. So I hope you're enjoying <laughs> that. Anyway, uh, the site is is anchor.fm backslash Beltway Sports Bros. Again, that's anchor.fm backslash Beltway Sports Bros. We would greatly appreciate your support and thank you for listening right now, if you're able to do so, which I know things are tough right now. But anyway, moving on, uh, to start the show, we're going to get into a little Redskins. Over the weekend, two Redskins players have been the topic of trade talks or actually in the news. This just happened over the week, uh, what was it, a couple days ago that was reported that 
edge linebacker Ryan Anderson has been in talk about trade discussions. According to Ben Standig of The Athletic, I'm actually a big fan of his, quote, there are teams interested in Anderson. Realistically, Washington might land a sixth or seventh round selection for a defender, not considered a playmaker or an edge rusher. <laughs> However, the unique offseason could raise the trade value for any veteran, end quote. And secondly, Ryan Kerrigan apparently wants to be a Redskins for life. Can you imagine that? He, he must uh, be sick in the head or something. Yeah, low I'm, standards, man. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, and, and over the offseason, Kerrigan has also been a huge subject of trade talks due to Chase Young coming and obviously the drafting of Montez Sweat last year. But apparently Kerrigan's totally fine taking a lesser role, which is pretty surprising. But I just want to say this real quickly. I mean, with the team switching to a 4-3, I don't see where Ryan Anderson fits at all. I mean, I didn't really see where he fit in a 3-4, truthfully. But really, Kerrigan, I think, was built for the 4-3. He's been out of position his entire career. Now, with him, Kerrigan, I mean, being playing situationally versus every down, um, this could work out well. You know, but you don't see many veterans that are completely okay taking a back seat. Usually it's when they get released or they force a release to their team that they've been with forever. They go to another team and then take a back seat. But it's this is kind of unusual. It's kind of a Daryl Green situation in a way. So one issue for me though, it's it's difficult to tell what situation that Kerrigan's gonna be in. I mean, you're talking about Montez Sweat and Chase Young. Do you wanna put him on first down as a run stopper at this point? Because if if they're completely killing it, Montez Sweat and Young, I mean, where's Ryan Kerrigan's spot there? You're not going to put him at defensive tackle in a 4-3. What are you going to do exactly? So that's kind of my confusion on it. He seems like a really expensive backup. And when you've got guys, you know, like Nate Orchard, for instance, that showed up in the last few games and that Rivera's really high on, that's why he brought him back. You're stunning their growth as well. So this seems like a a move to keep him for kind of like a, a Super Bowl contender in a way, but we have no aspirations of that. So I just wanted to hear your thoughts on it all. Well, I think that with the Kerrigan situation, I, I don't see how it hurts to keep him around. They have the cap space in order to do it. They have a young room. They have two guys in there with sweat and now young that are still learning the position. They can be potentially situational guys. And I don't see what, what it hurts. Now, if they were strapped for cash and they needed that space for something for another void, which they have plenty of spots, but it doesn't look like they're going to be doing anything with the money anyway. So might as well use it towards a veteran guy that can really help these guys along and knows the job. He is a lunch pail guy. He comes in, he busts it every single time. Regardless, his productivity went off. I thought to a certain extent, and I know it's blasphemy, that Ryan Kerrigan's a bit overrated. And at this point in his career, if there is any position to be a situational guy, being a veteran D-end is the spot. Now, the question is, like you said, for young D-ends, most of the time they're going to want to be in their own pass rush situations because they just say, just go get the quarterback. Don't think about anything else. Where's his role going to be? He can't cover for shit. He's not good on the edge as far as taking down the run. And that, you see this transition that I'm about to put in here, the Ryan Anderson situation. That's why they kept this guy around. And they've invested time in this guy. He finally showed a little bit of a glimmer of something last year. Give him up for a seventh or a sixth round pick. Who gives a damn? Keep him around. They have no idea what they have right now in most of the guys that they have. He is a utility man. They can shift him around. They can even potentially play him at a different linebacker spot if they have to. He is a big dude that can move. And yes, he's horrible in coverage, but for the price that they're paying to get what out of it, you just keep the depth. You just slow down. You don't need to trade this guy now. 
see where the season goes into, see where we're going. Like you said, you don't even know if we're going to have training camp or anything. Keep the bodies in-house. The trade will be there for a freaking sixth or seventh round pick. You don't need to do this shit tomorrow. And with the Kerrigan situation, he ain't going to get much more than that anyway either with at 11.5 million. So keep these guys in-house. What's it hurting? Well, I mean, let's think about it this way. When you're talking about Ryan Anderson, he's too small to play DN in a 4-3. That'll never work. And they're stacked. So why would you even consider that? And he's not fast enough, and he's proven this to cover tight ends at all. So what exactly are you going to do? And Thomas Davis and will? And get something out of What are we talking about here? You're acting as if they've got the 85 Bears. Come on. No, no. I'm saying that if they if they can trade him for a player. They're not going to be able to get shit for him, Matt. Brian Anderson's not bringing anything in-house. They're not. They're going to get a, a shitty pick that they're probably not going to do anything with. This guy was a second round pick three years ago. All right? Well, right. But that's what I'm saying, Noel. They're going to lose him anyway. So he's gone. He's not going to resign with this team. If, if you can get something out of him, why wouldn't you? The reason why it? you, this season is going to be I a loss. I understand. Watch. I understand. And if he was a big time guy that you could potentially get like ending up in the Trent Williams situation or Kirk or something like that. Absolutely agree with you. This guy ain't bringing shit in return right now. He's a body. He's a professional. The guys love him. He's an Alabama yeah. boy. They love this guy. His work ethic is freaking killer. He can move a truck. You cannot be with your team right now. You need all the bodies you can get and the team camaraderie outside of the locker room that you can get. Getting rid of him for a draft pick is utterly pointless. That's what I'm saying. You need bodies in-house. That's the reason. If it were any other situation, screw him. He ain't playing anyway. But right now, with the uncertainty... I see. Hold on to him. You think he's telling Ruben Foster to come with him to strip clubs and things oh, like that? Oh, yeah. Like just, just <laughs> he's like, yeah, come on, Ruben. Let's go in here real quick. You're, you're going to have a great yeah. time. Oh, yeah. He's that type. He's like coaxing Ru- Ruben's like, man, I- I'm trying to get straight here, man. Don't do this to me. Remember the good old days? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I've heard nothing but good things about him and his work ethic. And is he a tweener? Yes, but so what right now? To me, it doesn't matter. I mean, truthfully, he was a tweener as a 3-4. So, I mean, the guy ended up with right. four, four sacks and, a, and 44 tackles. I think he started figuring things out, but I don't want to get nothing for him. But if you get something for him, why not? Hey, and that goes with Ryan Kerrigan as well. You can actually probably get something pretty good for him. And then you can keep Ryan Anderson. And I understand they have plenty of cap space. However... Why wouldn't you consider trading Ryan Kerrigan to us? What, what do you think you'll get for Ryan Kerrigan? It doesn't matter. They're not going to re-sign him anyway. But what do you think you're going to get for Ryan Kerrigan that he can bring the intangibles? Just like I said with Ryan Anderson, right now you need bodies in-house. Right now, Chase Young doesn't know where the bathroom is. They need these guys to walk them around, to show them the ropes, to be a professional. This guy's been in the league. He's worth the $11.5 million just to, to raise Young's game up. If that's all he does, shit, we're paying freaking Alex Smith $20 million to not do anything. You can at least have Kerrigan in the freaking D-end room to say, no, man, stop eating that shit. I mean, that's worth its weight in gold. No, I, I don't disagree, but I'm saying that this team, again, is not going anywhere. If you can get a piece that can help them move towards their eventual goal of actually winning something, Ryan Kerrigan's not it. Yes, he can help them prepare. He can help them eat the right things, how to lift weights, all that kind of stuff. But at the end of the day, he's just going to be a guy. And and his position that he's going to be in, Noel, is basically is veteran minimum type of role. 
and he's we'll getting paid eleven point five. We'll see. All right. We'll see. We'll see what he brings. Trade him both. And if Love he if he, can, if he can bring the mental part of the game, I'm for it. They're not going to bring anybody else in for him. If you're getting a fifth-round pick for Trent Williams, what the hell you think you're going to get for Kerrigan? I mean, come on, man. Well, two different you, situations. You just keep, just keep, keep the body around. He's a good guy. He's still one of the faces of the franchise. And I'm not, I'm not stupid. I don't think he's where he used to be. Like I said, I never thought he was that awesome anyway. But I think that his intangibles and ways that he performs on a day-to-day basis – is worth its weight in gold to a guy like Chase Young and even Sweat still. All right. We'll agree to disagree. Anyway, right. moving on to the NBA. On Monday, NBA Commissioner Adam Silver was interviewed on ESPN's Return to Sports special. He was asked about the plan to return this season, which is starting July 30th. Quote, I can only say it may not be for everyone. Silver acknowledged going to Florida and isolating in a campus-like environment away from families while there is so much attention on societal issues, will, quote unquote, entail enormous sacrifice, adding, I don't want to sugarcoat it, end quote. The NBA, from what we understand now, will not require or punish players that do not play the rest of the season, but they will not be paid if they decide to sit out. Apparently, and this is not 100% confirmed yet, but the only way a player will be paid if they sit out is if an NBA doctor considers that player a health risk. So I just wanted to hear your thoughts on this, Noel. I mean, what are we doing? I just don't know where to go with it at this point. You're damned if you do and you're damned if you don't. You got Kyrie Irving is usually poking his little head out of, I don't know, flat earth. I just don't understand what these guys want. Do you want to play or don't you? And Adam Silver's coming on. Oh, well, um, you know, the guys are going to do, you know, I understand that's a tough situation. There are employees going back to work every day now. Every day. Places are opening up. Right or wrong, they are. The NBA has taken a hell of a lot more precautions on employees coming back than McDonald's. I can tell you that much. And for these guys to all of a sudden throw a wrench in the gears and saying, hey, if we're in this bubble, you know, we're going to be isolated. We're not going to be able, based on the current situation and the current climate, we're not going to be able to have. This is the perfect platform for you to have this. You guys just don't want to play. Don't give me this shit. Like you're going to pound the pavement to the White House if this wasn't going on. Get the fuck out of here, Irving. I hate him. I really do. I hate his guts. I don't understand why people still continue to listen to him. If anybody has ever seen Game of Zones, you will understand what they think of Kyrie Irving. The guy is a hack. And for Adam Silver to have to justify himself after they've been working on this thing for two and a half months to try to figure out how they're going to do this. And now these guys coming out of the woodwork saying, well, you know, we've got this and we're not sure about that. And now they're talking about medical parts of it. And well, what happens if I get injured? There's going to be medical staff there, idiot. Everybody that they need, they have thought about that. You don't think that they think that there might be an injury over the next month when they have this thing? I mean, these guys are buffoons. If you believe the world is flat, that's all I have to say about it, okay? I mean, if you believe the fucking world is flat, why is this guy being quoted on anything? And if anybody listening to this thinks the world is flat, you're just as stupid as he is, okay? I'm telling you that. That's a fucking quote. Well, that's the first time I think that you're not going to offend the majority of the listeners, so thank you for that, Noel. Okay, so I wanted to bring in our new friend, Matt Moderno. I said that right, right? Killed it. Fantastic. So he's, uh, again, writer for Bullets Forever and host of Believe in Wizards podcast. Again, that's spelled B-L-E-A-V and hosting with uh, Larry Hughes. So we really appreciate you coming on. Thank you so much for that. 
Um, I wanted to say also you can follow Matt on Twitter at Matt Moderno and at Believe in Wizards. Anything else that you can follow yet? No, that's that's the easiest ones. I mean, we've got a Facebook and an Instagram and all that stuff too, but you know, it's all kind of the same content on, on different platforms. So whatever people prefer. All right, perfect. And you were kind enough to retweet my last tweet about this. So thank you. Happy for that. to do it. Yeah, yeah. for sure. So I just wanted to ask you, I mean, tell me a little bit about your background uh, to start. I mean, how did you kind of get into this role and what brought you to where you're at today? Uh, Sure. So, uh, you know, I have a broadcast journalism degree from the University of Maryland, Um, did a radio show there for for four years. And I was there, you know, interned at ESPN 980, Masson, um, you know, all the kind of local big venues and stuff like that. So, you know, as a college radio show, we were having Scott Van Pelt on, you know, at least once a year, Kevin Sheehan, guys like that. So got a pretty good start, made some good connections uh, along the way, you know, wrote for for different websites, uh, wrote for like Draft Express for a year. That was a pretty good one. Um, website called hoopville.com. Uh, the, the person that runs that now is like head of statistics for ESPN. So just just made some reasonable connections along the way. But didn't really pursue journalism for you know much of the last decade. Uh, once I found out what everybody got paid, it was sort of uh, <laughs> you know a le- less optimistic about that as a career path. So uh, just try to get back into it. Um, you know, in the last couple of years here, just uh, to have as kind of a nice side gig. And uh, you know, I think you guys could probably relate to this. Sports is a lot more fun when you know you don't depend on it to you know kind of make be your paycheck and stuff like that. So. Um, right for Bullets Forever now, doing the podcast with Larry. Uh, it's kind of enough to keep me busy on the on the media front. Um, so, you know, we have a press credential and stuff like that. So spend a decent amount of time in the locker room and things like that. We'll probably do so more in the future if, uh, you know, we're ever allowed to have media at games again. But I guess we'll kind of see what that looks like. Yeah, absolutely. Well, and for your day job, I find it very interesting uh, what you do as, as well. Uh, yeah, so I, I do uh, research and development project manager for for the FAA. So I do a lot of our collaborations with NASA and commercial space operators. So people like SpaceX or Blue Origin and, and things like that. So definitely a little different than than the side gig. Well, so obviously not a very smart person. So we're sorry, with that, but thank you for fake it till you out. make it. Yeah, yeah, that, that, that's the key. You've definitely raised the IQ of this show. That's for sure. Yeah, that's. <laughs> I, I can bring it back down here pretty quick. Guys. Trust me. Let's, let's not go too far. Before you got on, we were talking about uh, the Adam Silver situation and kind of how he's bending backwards for guys like Kyrie Irving and you know others that are involved with that and flat earthers, as Noel mentioned, which. <laughs> Not sure how you feel on that subject. It's tough. setting things to the moon. Yeah, tough from a tough from a credibility standpoint. <laughs> but uh, how do you think Adam Silver and the NBA are handling this situation right now? Honestly, I, I think you got to give everybody sort of like the ultimate pass in the situation. Like, there's no blueprint for for how to handle it, and any misstep they make, it's you know, no other league is doing a better job. I would say, like, um, right. at least no league that I follow. Like, I, I haven't been keeping track of the Bundesliga. Like, I didn't know what that was <laughs> until a month ago, but it's probably the most popular word on ESPN right now. So it, it's tough. It, he's kind of you know damned if he does and damned if he doesn't to some extent. And I think based on some comments today, you can add John Wall to the list of um, you know flat Earth supporters here. Uh, <laughs> John, <laughs> John came out and said that even if he were healthy enough to play, you know, he wouldn't make the trip down because, you know, what's the point of going for only eight games? You know, I kind of supported the him not playing part. You know, one of the things we talked about on our show is that 100% healthy is different than 100% game ready. Um, So so you can definitely justify not playing. 
it's a little tougher for a fan base when a guy makes 40 million, hasn't played in a while, and then says like, eh, what's the point? Especially when you're not mathematically eliminated from the playoffs. Do you think though that, and Matt and I have discussed this before, that really, uh, is it worth the payoff? I understand if he's healthy, he's making money, he's making a ton of money, but with the criticism that Wall and Beal get in the backcourt, do you think there's really any money in it? If he goes down there and plays rusty and they're not cohesive i mean that's a whole off season now of discussion about where they're at as a team yeah i mean i think there's kind of two things that that factor into that i I honestly prefer doing media at some of the g league games more than the wizards games so i was going to a lot of the go-go capital city go-go the g league team games at the end of the season and multiple guys there talked about how good wall looked in practices with them you know there's this rumored videotape that i think eventually surfaced of of him throwing down like a windmill on somebody in a g league practice so you know if he's healthy enough to do that i think there's some expectation that uh, he probably wouldn't look terrible if you were out on the floor um but i think the biggest advantage of, of him playing isn't to see what he looks like it's to see what he looks like with these other guys um if you've got to make a big financial investment in, in davis bertans It'd be cool to see how he looked next to Wall. Uh, I mean, they may play together and hate it, and then you're committed to a guy for $20 million a year. It's, right. it's something you want to figure out. Right, right. So, you know, that's what I was saying. That's See? Yeah, like I said, I'm I'm just not sold on. I'm I'm really worried about because that's really the only national news that the Wizards get is that turmoil between Wall and Beal, and I'm just concerned that if that doesn't go right, then that's a long off season for just an eight game payoff. Yeah, for sure. I mean, there's definitely yeah. some some downside to that, but they, you know, people are going to criticize someone sure. that hasn't played in a year and a half anyway. And sure, like these guys were like, hey, uh, you know, we're we're with each other in like each person's darkest personal moments, and the media, it, from a national standpoint, still thinks they hate each other. So, if right, <laughs> absolutely, I agree with that. I do. It's tough. So, uh, you know, our listeners know what our thoughts are on this crazy playoff system that they're putting together or whatever you want to call it, right? But, I mean, I wanted to see what your thoughts were and if you would change anything. I would literally turn on ESPN right now and watch the two of you play one-on-one. I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm so desperate for any basketball hey. at this point that, that whatever you line up, I, I would watch. So anything they put out, I'm all for. I'm, I'm all in on, like, the TBT that ESPN has coming up. I'll take anything. I mean... You can nitpick at any plan, you know, it should have been 18, it should have been 16, it should have been 30. It's good enough for me, I think, to be honest with you. But the arbitrary number of six and then four and then one and a half and all that kind of stuff. I mean, what do you think about that? Is that where are they where are they getting this? There's supposedly some advanced math that exists somewhere that helped them determine that. But I, I think it's sort of like the BCS formula at this point, like nobody actually knows you know, what, what, what they did to come up with that. Um, you could make kind of anything, the arbitrary cutoff. I think that got them to a clean number, you know, of teams and, and based on percentages, it would give, you know, the, the incumbent eight seed, the better chance of winning, but not totally eliminate somebody like the wizards that are, you know, a certain amount of games back. I think that's sort of how they tried to work backwards to it. At least you might have to ask somebody at SpaceX about how they, they I was going to say that actually. <laughs> I'm not sure they have enough brain power there, yeah. to be honest with you. <laughs> yeah, so I saw in the article that you have some um, players that you thought potentially for this short regular season, like you said, whatever they're going to call this, this bubbles league, what do you think would be the best avenue for the Wizards at this point? Signing those two-way guys, going after a big name? 
What do you think they should do? So I'm, I don't say this publicly a ton, but I'm of the opinion that the Wizards suck right now. So <laughs> as much as you can do to sort of try out any potential talent or guys that could be kind of needle movers, you know, long term, that any chance you get to look at that, you do it. Like I, I even think despite what a terrible failure it was, the, you know, Isaiah Thomas experiment was worth it. Like I would have pulled the cord on it, I don't know, a lot quicker than they did. But oh yeah. Right. Um it's still it's still worthwhile if you're if you're Tommy Shepard to to try as many things as you can buy low on as many guys as possible. So I would look at whether it's the guys that we rattled off on on our list on on Bullets Forever or or just whoever they can come up with of of guys that still have some untapped upside. It it just makes sense. Like Cousins is the name on the list that we had, Demarcus Cousins, that I think everybody sort of read to and then didn't read the whole rest of sure. of, of the list at that point, which was probably a mistake on my end, but. Why not? I mean, like nobody can give me a, a great argument for why not giving someone like that a tryout. Uh, it doesn't cost you really anything. Um, it's to his advantage because he's showing teams for next year that he is physically able to play. I mean, if I'm a team, I'm much willing, more willing to give him a $5 million a year deal if I've seen him even play eight games at a reasonable level versus I haven't seen you play for real in a year and a half. So there's incentive for him to want to do it and want to look good. He likes wall. Everybody talks about, there's actually, for anybody that has Showtime, there's a, a rehab documentary that they did around DeMarcus Cousins. And, you know, I hate the, like the misunderstood NBA player narrative, but he actually seems like a reasonable dude. And I, yeah, I think I a lot of, yeah. a lot of the stuff he kind of bitched about, I think any of us would bitch about. <laughs> it's like, Hey, you had a boss that everybody liked and we were winning, but we fired him. Like I'd be kind of salty about that too. Right. So, I don't buy that he's as big a distraction. And the guy was Joel Embiid basically before he got hurt. So even if yeah. he's 70% of that, isn't he at least a little better than than the guys they have now? Well, I think if, if the Wizards get anything out of this, like you were saying, I mean, if, if they don't even win a game, I mean, just to be able to showcase some of these guys on a short frame of time would be worth its weight in gold. With the Cousins thing, do you think that by bringing a guy like that in, if they bring a big name in, I, I like the Decker one personally, but with the Cousins situation, do you think that that would stunt the growth of some of these younger big men like Wagner and and uh, Brian and even like Pasta Sneaks? I mean, I felt like Mahimi was doing that to a certain extent extent during the season where they, he was getting big time on the court when these guys should have potentially been in there. Uh, He's been holding people back for four years. <laughs> Go ahead. Sure. You know, I don't think eight games is enough of a, a sample size where if, you know, Thomas Bryant goes down to 20 minutes a game, all of a sudden you're like really holding him back. Like that's why I wouldn't have advocated it for something like that for the whole year. Right. Um, but, but for eight, it's enough to kind of see if somebody at least still yeah. is worth the investment. And then then you can decide in the offseason if, if that's a guy you want to turn around into another pick. Like, I think they need a wing more than they need a big. Um, I, I trust that Wagner and, and Bryant to get uh, you know better enough to be serviceable because most of the good teams in the league platoon their bigs anyway. But there are no good NBA teams that don't have like a starting caliber three and D wing. Like there's no one on the Wizards right now that could guard Jalen uh, Jalen Brown or Jason Tatum in a playoff series. Like, right, uh, you know, Beal will try, but that that's not <laughs> yeah. to, to anyone's benefit. Right. Right. Yeah, I, and 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 that was going to my next question about what the biggest need, and I've been saying this for a long time, is the three spot. 
I mean, as the small forward, I think the uh, the Troy Brown experiment is done. I mean, I really do. And I think the the Bonga, he's a good role player guy. He can come in and he's a good matchup defensively. He can help out in that way. But I think, you know, there are some guys out there that could really help, especially if Wall comes back. They bring Bertans in. Do you think that that's the, the spot that they should be really going after whatever money they have left, obviously? Yeah, I mean, everybody said in the draft, like, oh, you know, we have to we have to get a defensive big, even if it's not uh, James Wiseman or Onyeka Kongwu. Like, reach if you have to. That's right. what we need. But who's the last, like, good rookie defensive big man you remember? Like, I, I can't <laughs> name a single one that I was like, this right. guy's awesome. Um, yeah. But there's a reasonable chance you could even draft a wing that that comes in and is at least can hit corner threes and and be athletic and and annoy people. So that's the way I would go. Um, I, I think, you know, to the point about, about Troy Brown, like, I think any chance of him being like a long-term, like strong starting wing is is sort of done. But can he be a, a decent facilitator off the bench um, or a rotation guy? You know, Paul George was kind of crappy for his first two years, yeah. and and he turned out pretty good. So it, he's so young; it's tough to like totally give up. Um, but he's got to have to shoot it. Like I think everyone around Wall has to shoot, and he just doesn't do that well enough. So I don't know if your best skill as a, as a small forward is that you defensive rebound really well, like <laughs> right. right. nobody tries to offensive rebound. So. Agree. Agree. Yeah. Yeah. He, uh, he, he, when they were trying to bring him off the bench and he was handling the ball a little bit more, it looked like he was flourishing a little bit more because he didn't have to think so much, but he was almost in that poor man's auto Porter stage where he just didn't know his role in the starting five. And that's what I felt like with him. And that's why I I just don't know where his fit is at this point. I like the kid a lot. I think he has a lot of upside, but like you said, if you look at that starting five, that's really the, the major lacking point. Yeah, totally agree. Yeah. So I wanted to ask, about speaking of of you know free agents and, and things like that as far as you know we love absolutely love Bertans I think every Wizards fan does I mean he's the probably the most fun player to watch on the team I mean what kind of contract do you expect Bertans to demand this offseason and one to ten give me one to ten I mean that he'll actually come back to the Wizards uh you know I, I think from all accounts um he seems to really like it here and the fact that they mm-hmm. gave him an opportunity that that even San Antonio kind of wasn't willing to, they basically unleashed him. And I don't know how many places would have done that. Um, just as an example, like I was at a, a game earlier this year and I want to say they lost to Memphis down the stretch and there's like 35 reporters crowded around Beal and he's like mumbling and giving these one word answers. And like everyone just sort of looks disappointed in the feedback he's giving them. <laughs> and I know uh, they're like, all right, that's it for media availability. And Barton is like, no, no, I got this. Like, Hey, we have to do this. You know, I didn't do this tonight. Like, He's trying to like take a leadership role, I think, and and that's mm. cool. And, and typically, guys don't buy in that much if they don't care about a team. And um, you know, I don't know who else has money that would give him both a reasonable contract and a similar role, but also have a chance at at being a better team next year. Like, if you're him, do you take the same money to go play in Atlanta, where they have Kevin Herter and guys like you know that are basically out there to be shooters? So I think the likelihood is pretty good. It's just for what dollar amount. What do you think roughly that a guy like him can demand and actually get? You know, like the fifteen million dollar range is probably probably what we're talking about. Something like that, maybe yeah. anywhere from twelve to eighteen, depending on on who else is out there, what they go for. That that's going to be tough because I have no idea how 
you know, what's going on right now will sort of affect teams' willingness to, to spend. And if they say in advance, we do this playoff format and then next season doesn't start until December, are those prorated amounts next year? Like, I think there's just too much in the air to like really give like a good, you know, educated guess on the dollar amount. But but something like that's probably the the ballpark. Or or also how it's going to affect the salary cap in general. You know, yeah, I mean, that's sure. going to, it's going to cut that thing down pretty good. Yeah. No, what'd you have? Yeah, they were just, the, that's where I was going with it. I mean, plus the fact that with the retraction of the potentially retraction of the salary cap, I mean, it, this whole thing could be a disaster. And um, going back to the Berton situation, how do you feel I, on paper, everybody's saying that Wall and Berton are, are a match made in heaven. Do you feel that the same way? Do you think that that's obviously he's a stretch for it's easy to say the guy can shoot out of the building, but is that a situation that Wall coming back from an injury like this is going to be able to be the facilitator that he was, drive, dish, whatever he does? And you think that's going to be a matchup that can sustain itself? I think we all sort of like the whole fan base has this like image of John Wall in their mind of him like racing down the court at lightning speed to like throw down a dunk on somebody. And he really wasn't that the last couple of years he was healthy. Like, I don't think anybody pushed the ball in transition and like did that one hand off the dribble to a corner three point shooter better than he did. Um, and people are like, oh, well, Burton's cooled off as the season went on. It's like, who else did they have to guard? I mean, it was right, either him right. or, or Beal and Hachimura was out and all these other guys. So like Mahinmi is your starting center. You don't have to guard him. Like, so I think he's a great fit personally. Um, and, and the biggest thing I'll say is he's actually like a better defender than I think he gets credit for. You know, there's the stereotype yeah. of you're the big white, you know, white dude that's kind of slow footed. Slow but, Euro that just yeah, shoots. Yeah, exactly. But, you know, as much as everybody ragged on on Bryant and, and even Wagner to some extent this year, like Hachimura was a dumpster fire defensively. Um, like I think like every metric puts him in like the bottom, you know, 10 guys in the league. Now that may have gotten better as the year went on and that's fine with rookies, but they were better defensively with Bertans out there a lot of the time. I think they were pretty bad together for the most part. Like I, I'm not sure I buy the Hachimura as a small forward notion that, that the team seems to have, but you know, I think Bertans is a better fit next to wall than Hachimura would be just from uh, you know, an actual space the floor perspective and if you bring Hatchamore off the bench it gives him more of a green light to just go get buckets wherever he wants to so the, the team is actually saying they want to they're looking into putting Hatchamore at the three that's that's what they've said and uh, I guess Beal did a couple podcast appearance this summer where he said you know they have hope that he can do that and um Tommy Shepard said something like that I, I know um as an example like I, I was sitting courtside during during like a pregame warmup and there's like 150 Japanese fans there from out of town, like trying to get him to sign autographs. He took a picture with like literally every single person. So I was like taking a picture of them, taking a picture you know, of other people <laughs> taking a picture of him. And like, I hear this voice kind of walk up behind me and I think yeah, I just hear he's something, isn't he? And I turn around and it's Tommy Shepard and he's not really directing it at me. It's more just like a, like a proud parent moment of just like, look right. at this kid. And, and then Hatchmore spent the entire rest of the, the shoot around with one of their player development guys, just watching tape on the people they're about to play. And I think he is like a really hard worker. He's been, you know, kind of a late bloomer, um, you know, his whole career. So they think the sky's the limit for the dude. And, you know, they're buying into the, not quite maybe to this extent, but like the Kawhi, you know, he couldn't shoot, he couldn't really dribble coming out. You know, maybe these are things that, that he adds. I don't personally see it, but, you know, they they seem to like him. So, Well, going back to the Hachimura thing, I mean, I think that um, the comparison with Kawhi, I think, is 
you it's can't crazy. put the, you can't put that yeah. on him. And uh, I mean, and defensively, I mean, Kawhi was Kawhi even back then. When, um, but I think with the Hachimura situation, do you think that Bertans, if they bring Hachimura off of the bench, for example, wouldn't you think that Bertans would be better suited for that six man spot instead of Hachimura, who they don't need that many guys on the floor at the same time that are just scoring, scoring, scoring? I mean, I know Bertans is better defensively, and I completely agree with you, but I, I kind of like that Bertans off the bench spark. That he brought him and when Napier would come off the bench or if they bring those pieces back, I'm in love with this team, what they could potentially do with Wallback. I just think if you look at the best couple teams in the league, it's very rare for them to have more than one non-perimeter shooter on the team. Like you can maybe make the case that like low 30s walls acceptable enough. But Hatchmore wasn't great from three. He got he had like a little stretch after the injury where he was actually better, but it's like a really flat shot. Like he's great from he might be the best 15 foot jump shooter on the team, but so I just wonder if that bottles things up for, for wall a little bit. So I just thought from a, a pure spacing things out perspective, if, if you say, Hey, Hachimura starts, but Berton still plays a ton of minutes with wall. It's the same kind of thing, but I think that pairing especially makes a lot of sense. And I was listening to your podcast, Matt, and you were saying that that's a big portion of bringing Bertans back. They have to work that out if, if he's going to be the starter or coming off the bench because, I mean, make it, paying a guy up to $18 million a year coming off the bench, that's asking a lot. Yeah, this is this is kind of a stupidity moment on my part, but or maybe an ignorance is bliss thing. But, <laughs> you know, Larry brings up just some subtle points sometimes that, that I kind of don't consider. And he's like, they just need to ask people what they want to do. Like every NBA player will tell you how they see themselves. And Bertans is like, you know, I, I need to be the starter. Like I am going somewhere. I'm a starter. You don't want to promise him that if you don't expect to do that. And the same thing sort of applied to Napier. If, if he's not trying to just be a facilitator off the bench, he wants to be a scorer, you know, shooter, all that kind of stuff, then you don't want to invest in in money in a guy that's not going to be happy with his role in a year. And and just for whatever reason, it had never occurred to me to just like be transparent and say like, (laughs) where do you see yourself next year? Um, But I got news for for Shabazz that his role is where his role is at this point. How does the organization feel about Thomas Bryant? Because when he came back from the injury, they were trying him at the four next to Mahinmi. They tried all these different routes with him, bringing him in on short term. I know he was on a minute restriction for a period of time, but I think the kid can be great. I really do. I feel that about him. I think he's got the package, but sometimes I feel like the Wizards team isn't fully convinced. He's like nine months older than Hachimura. Right. I mean, it, it's it's crazy. We act like, well, he's played three full years. Yeah. Well, no, he didn't. He didn't play the first year. He played a good amount of last year, and he played sparingly this year. You know, for a guy like that, it's about reps. You know, he, he has to get tougher. He has to rebound better. Like, Al Horford's not skying over people and, like, catching lobs. And, like, he's a good positional defender. And, um, you know, one of the things we talked about on, on our show was just about how hard it is for, you know, the center in today's NBA level defenses is you're kind of the the last line of defense, but you don't know how many times like somebody else misses the rotation or shading the wrong way. And Isaiah Thomas wasn't guarding anyone. Beal basically gave up on that by the third game. You know, Bonga tried, but then he'd still get beat back door like four times a game somehow. Troy's too scrawny at the moment to like really body up bigger, small forwards. So it, it just, I think he got caught in a lot of bad positions. And I, I think they think, you know, he's got a lot of room to improve, but they feel confident that he's going to improve. And yeah. and the deal is like, 
if he's even a fringe starting caliber. It's like not a bad deal for a backup center. So this whole like we have to trade him for assets thing, I just don't buy. Now I'm not saying that they wouldn't like flip him and a pick for a Miles Turner or somebody if the you know opportunity presented itself. But I don't think they've given up on him the way yeah. it seems like most of DC has. Yeah, I, I don't really understand it because I think he's shown a lot. I mean, he's even gotten a little bit of an outside J at this point. I'd prefer him not to take them. But he has made them and he's shown improvements in a lot of different areas that and like you said, he's still a young, he's still a kid. Uh, Yeah, there's a post game press conference this year where there was a game where I was at where Mo Wagner had like 19 points and nine rebounds. And if you looked at your Twitter after it was like, holy shit, Mo is the answer. And and Scott Brooks spent the I thought he was, <laughs> you know, I mean, he, he's, he brings some great things to the table, too. But Brooks spent the entire press conference just shitting all over how Mo misses rotations. He has no idea what he's doing as a team defender. Like, yeah, it's great that he takes charges, but sometimes he's hunting them and being out of position. Like it's just a lot less obvious from like on the perimeter. It's can you stay in front of somebody like that's so much easier to gauge if someone's doing their job. So it's just kind of tough. I have one more. And speaking of Brooks, do you think that he is the right coach for this team going forward? I will say I don't. I think that any of his teams are horrendous defensively. This is the the year that I guess the last two years that he's actually looked like he's put a playbook together and actually run plays. When Wall's not in there, it's just a free-for-all. So me personally, that's how I feel. How do you feel? I think there's really like three coaches in the NBA that that like move the needle for a team, like like can really like win you a game because they coach so well. I think otherwise it's different coaches are better in different roles. Like Brett Brown is a guy you would love to have if your team is shitty and trying to rebuild. Is he the guy that's really putting you over the top um, in a playoff series? I don't know. Nick Nurse is really great about creatively trying to get the best out of guys that that not everybody sees a lot of potential in maybe, but is he the guy you'd want to start a rebuild, a rebuild with? So it's like, I don't think that where they think they'll be next year that that Brooks is the guy for it, but he's definitely going to be back. Whether he's back beyond that, I would probably be surprised. You know, he's one of the more high, highly paid coaches in the league. Uh, and I just don't know that you get your, your bang for the buck. So I'd agree with you, but I just we kept a general manager that was awful for like a decade <laughs> and a half. So, um, you know, if, if we're sitting here 10 years from now and Scott Brooks is still the coach, like I won't be surprised. Right. Do you think that this coronavirus situation had a lot to do with that? Or do you think that he would have been the, the coach next year regardless? I, I'm, I point a little bit back to, to ownership more than I do like with front of office and, and coaching. I think just having a reasonable NBA team is such a good long-term investment for these owners that it's just kind of worth it. And like, is he going to shell out an extra $7 million to pay Scott Brooks and then also a new coach? I just think no matter what the circumstances, he's going to see the end of his contract and then they'll decide from there. It's just so maddening for me watching his rotations and watching. And the Thomas Bryant thing was a perfect example, putting him at power forward. Like, who the hell's doing this? It's like if I was coaching the team, I mean, I wouldn't have done that. And it's like I was coaching the team. (laughs) I just don't understand some of the things that he does. Like you said, the Isaiah Thomas decision. I mean, when are you going to pull the plug here? I mean, they had to literally release him to stop playing this guy. Like, I mean, you know, uh, Tommy Shepard was like, all right, we got, we've had about enough here. And, you know, you have to take him out of the equation for this guy to keep playing these crappy veterans. Mahimi's another one. When will it end? The only way is to just have nothing but first and second year players or something to, so he, you force his hand. You know, we, one of the things we talked about kind of early on on the show is this is a question I asked Larry. As a former player, what would you like to see on your team? Like, there's some amount of like, yeah, you have to play the young guys, but there's also some balance of like, they have to earn those minutes too. Like, you can't just be gifted it because you're young and you need to 
developed. So it's hard to tell like how hard certain guys are working. And a lot of first year guys, like, I don't think they know how to work hard enough. So it's a little bit of a twofold, like, uh, you know, the first year that, that Troy Brown was on the team and they were awful the second half of the year and out of playoff contention, like I wouldn't have been playing Jabari Parker and Jeff Green all those minutes. I would have given it to the young guy, but I don't know, maybe he was, he was sucking it up in practice and, and dogging it. Like, it's just kind of a, a tough thing to really project. I think there's more that goes into it than, you know, everyone young must play now. But like over these eight games, if Jerome Robinson doesn't play a lot of minutes, like we're really stupid. <laughs> right, right. I, I totally agree. Right. All right, well, my, it, go ahead. No, I was going to say you, we had something that you wanted to settle and you wanted oh, to ask yeah, absolutely. Matt here. Okay, so so are you a Beal or a Wall man? If you had to have one on the team, parting ways with one or the other, who are you keeping? At the height of their position, we're not talking about when Wall's injured and you're the, the question marks, but when you saw them both on the floor at their heights. It's it's almost like a 50-50 split for me um, where I respect them both. Like Wall could have left, you know, he wouldn't have gotten a Supermax somewhere, but like he could have left. I give guys a lot of credit for that because our organization's been shit. So anyone who wants to stay, (laughs) I give them, I give them credit. Um, But no play in basketball was more maddening to me for like eight straight years than the wall, 18 foot, one footed fadeaway with like 12 seconds on the clock and no one else had touched the ball. So I think just by default, I would say Beal um, because of that play. Well, how, how about you guys? What was, what was the answer from you guys? I'm definitely, I'm a wall man. I always have been. The only time that I was ever against him was because I was a bigger Gilbert guy. Yeah. So uh, when that turmoil started there, I kind of went against wall for a little while. But after Gilbert had left and all that drama was gone, I was in, man. Like I, I just, the way he plays and just attacks it defensively he can leave people out to dry on pick and rolls and things like that give it i i I see everybody's faults but for me i've been a wall guy and um i'd have to go with him in his height i'm a beal guy because i think that he's just his play has so much more diversity to it i think he's a better defender and that's not saying much but you know (laughs) but uh i think you know he obviously has a shot he has the he can drive the basket whenever he wants i mean i think that he's just He's got the total package and wall. Everything that he has is predicated off of his speed. And once that goes, then you're done. And that's what I'm concerned about with this Achilles injury. And I know 110%, it's not- man, 110%. Yeah. He's back. Yeah. Cor- He's back. Him. <laughs> Heard that one before. Yeah. So, um, you know, th- that would be my reason. It's just, he just has a lot more diversity to his game than wall does. I think if they made the same amount of money and you asked 29 other teams, they would probably all even healthy say Beal just because what he does fits in better with everyone else's team. You can always use a a shooter or scorer and um, he's gotten a lot better off the dribble, but for all the like intangible stuff, you know, like wall's been amazing for the community overall. Um, you can nitpick it both, but right. there's no there's no wrong answer there. They're both reasonably good dudes. Just trying to put you on the spot there for a minute. That's all. I, yeah, I, I would go Beal. <laughs> sorry, sorry. Luckily, they're both on the same yeah, team. Exactly. So, you know, we, we don't, don't have, have to have pick. it. Hopefully, we'll one day see Wall play 82 games again. You know, yeah. maybe um, I take 50. <laughs> Yeah, there you go. 82 and three years. Exactly. So I I think that's about it. Do you have anything else you wanted to promote or you got anything else coming up or? Uh, We're going to have Eton Thomas on this Thursday. Oh, nice. Nice. If you got any questions for the perennial uh, backup center for the Wizards for the (laughs) most of the 2000s, uh, you know, let us know. We'll try to get a mask. But uh, other than that, yeah, just um, 
give us a, give us a listen if you like the Wizards, and and uh, hopefully uh, when we have actual basketball to talk about, I think that's sort of what we're we're most looking forward to. You know, there's so much you know wizard specific content, but it's very little like hey, this guy should have been in this place and this is probably what this coach did out of the huddle. So uh, if you like to nerd out about stuff like that, that's that's what we're hoping to provide. And you know, you guys know how this is when you're kind of new to the to the podcast game, you got to figure out the dynamics and stuff like that. Right. So like a good team, I think we're we're getting better each week, you know, some coach speak there. So hopefully we can uh, we can get it going in time for for real play to start back up. And no, I think that was a shot at us. <laughs> We're, we're, get, we're getting an X's and O's here, and that's not exactly something we do on our show. <laughs> you guys so. are not Wizard-specific, I wouldn't say. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> oh, well, I say. I say. We're, we're a different category. All right. Well, thank you so much again, yeah, Matt. Thanks. We really appreciate, appreciate it. it. And um, all right, that'll do it for this episode. Thanks again to Matt Moderno for hanging out with us. Please check his stuff out. Uh, as always, we're on all major podcast platforms, so please rate, review, and subscribe. If you like the show, share it on social media. Again, please follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and the Facebook group. And thank you for listening, and we will see you next time. Hey, for another Top 5 Friday. Hey, you guys love that. So we'll see you soon. <laughs>